In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend, Jamin Rankin. Come along as Michael Dexter and Holly Briggs talk with Jamin about his journey in emergency and flight nursing, to trauma center manager, and everything in between. This episode is called Defy Gravity, From Flight to Trauma Program Launch. Hello, and welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals, but most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always valuable. I'm Holly Briggs, a professional development specialist at BCN and one of your hosts for today. I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCN. Hi, Michael. Hey, Holly. Great to be with you again. Great to have you. In this episode of BCN and Friends, we have Jamin Rankin, an experienced emergency and flight nurse, now trauma program manager from West Monroe, Louisiana. Michael, could you please introduce us to our BCN and friend, Jamin? Sure. Jamin Rankin obtained a bachelor's degree in biology prior to pursuing nursing school. He's been a nurse since 2013, having worked, uh, as you mentioned, in emergency and air transport and now as a trauma program manager. Jamin's nursing interests involve all things emergency trauma and critical care. In his role as a trauma program manager, Jamin oversees clinical, operational, and performance improvement processes for a newly verified trauma center in North Louisiana. Apart from nursing, Jamin enjoys spending time with his family, as well as hunting, fishing, camping, and golfing. Jamin, welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you very much, Holly and Michael. I'm glad to be here. So tell us a little bit more about your career. You've worked, as we mentioned, Air Medical. You worked the ED. So tell us a little bit more about your nursing career thus far. I'll be happy to. So uh, like you said, I graduated with a degree in Bachelor of Science in Biology and minor in Chemistry. And I started working and realized that I really wanted to do something else. And healthcare had always been something that was uh, it intrigued me. So decided to apply and go back to nursing school. And when I graduated, I started as a brand new nurse in the ER. I worked in a, a ER here in North Louisiana, started out about a 25 to 30 bed ER. And for about two and a half years there, I did. It was just like any other kind of rural ER. We were the highest level of care in the region, so we saw a little bit of everything. Uh, we weren't a stroke center or trauma center or anything, but if it, if you were sick, you came to us. Um, uh, about two and a half years into that, I met my wife and got married, and we decided that we wanted to go on and do bigger things, and we moved to New Orleans where I got to work at a level one trauma center, uh, University Medical Center down in New Orleans. It was always kind of... Uh, Growing up watching Trauma Life in the ER or Code Blue in the ER, the shows on Discovery, it was always one of those things. I'd love to go work at the Trauma Center in New Orleans. So when that opportunity came available, I took it, uh, jumped on it, moved to New Orleans and got to work down there and learned a lot about what working in a verified trauma center was, uh, what it meant to do a trauma activation, what a systematic approach to assessment and care of the trauma patient. Um, and that was just a really big influence on me. Um, life happened and my wife and I decided to move back up toward North Louisiana where I had an opportunity to become a flight nurse uh, for a rural-based flight program. And for four years, I worked as a flight nurse. And my last year there, I was the base clinical lead where I was kind of over internal and external education for the flight crew and the surrounding entities there that we serviced. And after that, about, it's been about 
um, uh, opportunity came that I took the trauma program manager position. There was a hospital here in Northeast Louisiana that had, uh, was looking forward to becoming a trauma program, trauma center. And I jumped on the opportunity to get to build something from the ground up. So um, it was a, a challenge that I didn't know exactly what I was getting into, but it has been an awesome learning process to go from taking a hospital that had a lot of services, but how to take those services, bring them together for care of the injured patient. So it's been a lot of fun. Well, you talk about challenges, and I wanted to go back to your flight nursing uh, position because you said uh, that you did a lot of rural care there. So can you tell us a little bit more about some of the challenges you faced in that position and then also what some of those rewards were for, for working in the flight nursing role? So I live in northeast Louisiana, one of the more rural-based um, Farm, lots of farmland, uh, a lot of industry, agriculture industry here in Northeast Louisiana. And when I was working as a flight nurse prior to me starting this job, there was no verified trauma center or trauma center at all in Northeast Louisiana. So, you know, when you think back to the golden hour, something you learn a lot about is how do you take an injured patient and get them from the point of injury to a place that is set up and ready to take care of them in an hour. And one of those was using the flight nursing, the helicopter mode of uh, EMS. So one of the biggest challenges was just trying to get patients from the point of injury to definitive care. And when you do that, there's a lot that comes along with experience. We work with about 12 or four, about 12 or 13 different EMS companies. So there's a lot of difference that you, you see a lot of different from the patients you pick up in one area of the state to a different area of the state of what resources they had available, what protocols they used. And you would get patients, you know, that very little was done to them. And then some programs that were much more aggressive and were able to utilize their stuff. So just it was really not knowing what you were going to get every single time you got a call. Right. It, it was I tell everybody all the time it was birth to 99. It was anything in between. It was all of the injuries you can think of medical patients, trauma patients, all OB patients, all the above. And um, probably to really answer your question is just being prepared to care for what's next, right? What's the next thing that you're going to get? What's the next injury? What's next? Where, where and how far are you going to have to go to get them where they need to be? Yeah, so you mentioned that there was no verified trauma center. And of course, having to make that decision on where is the best facility, whether it's trauma or even stroke, STEMI, those those other time-sensitive conditions. But now that you are working trauma, now that you see it from the opposite angle, you realize, I'm sure that there's a lot that goes into making a hospital a verified trauma center. So can you tell us a little bit, just a brief overview of what the American College of Surgeons uh, uses to guide uh, organizations to becoming verified trauma centers? Yeah, so the American College of Surgeons, the entity that verifies the center, they, they essentially set forth a set of expectations that a hospital has to live up to in order to say you are prepared and able to take care of the injured patient, right? That comes, starts with education of the staff, that's policy, procedure, protocol, that's uh, physicians at the bedside within a certain amount of time, patients to the operating room within a certain amount of time. But not only do you just get them there fast, but what is the quality of the care that you're providing? Are you following up and making sure that you didn't just take a patient to the OR, but you took them appropriately and that the correct procedure was done and that follow up after that went through? And that if there was an issue and probably the biggest thing 
for anybody that works on the trauma operations side of things is how do you recognize that there's an issue and then how do you work toward making it a be- making it better right and learning how to not point fingers at people and say hey look there's a situation let's use our performance improvement process to see what happened and what we can do as a program to help make sure that we are moving forward and providing the best care possible for our patients you know, within that performance improvement, you talk about facilities, but another component of that is that improving just community health in general, improving the pre-hospital education, uh, whether it's with EMS or just community education. So where do you see having worked in those rural areas and now working in a verified trauma center? Uh, how do you, Where do you see that need still arising continuously on community education in regards to trauma care? Well, you know, traumatic injury still is the leading cause of death from birth, from age one to 44. So uh, traumatic injury is a significant cause of death in our country. That's, those are numbers from the CDC. And so uh, two of the most obvious ones we would probably talk about and the biggest ones are the motor vehicle collisions, right? And what can we do to ensure that we are safely operating motor vehicles. That's by uh, using safety belts, I mean, just using your seat belts. I mean, this is something that's not new information, but it's still something that is important for us to put out there. And within that safety belt conversation is car seats. Are car seats installed correctly for children? Um, are the are children in an appropriately sized car seat? But what if you have the right car seat, but it's inappropriately installed inside your car? And so we work toward getting things like certified car seat technicians to be available to ensure that car seats are installed correctly, doing community education about seat belts and safe driving. Um, the college is really big on using a, a screening tool for in, um, screening brief intervention referral for treatment for alcohol. So if someone comes in with alcohol and al- as we all know, alcohol is uh, related a lot to traumatic injury, but also not to dismiss the fact that there are penetrating injuries that we want to teach. So the college, is, is most everybody's probably heard, the initiative of Stop the Bleed, where we do community education about how to control external hemorrhage. Um, that's a big one that we've been involved with local schools, um, local entities like um, law enforcement, even entities like churches and local cities who will just let us come in and talk about it. And then the last one and one that most everybody thinks about, but you, we look at are falls in our elderly community. Um, elderly falls are a, a significant, they increase morbidity and mortality of our patients over the age of 65. And so how can we get in the community to help educate on fall prevention? And some of that is bringing a medicine physician with us to answer questions about blood pressure medications, and but teaching patients how to stand up properly and how to take their time so they don't become orthostatic. So, um, our goal at the end of the day is to have no trauma patients in the hospital, right? If we can prevent injury, that is a huge part of what we do. Uh, the fewer patients we have, the healthier the community is. But on both sides of that, we know that unintentional injury will still happen. So we want to be prepared to take care of that injured patient when they do make it inside the hospital. Wow. Well, great. So you have a lot of experience. <laughs> you talk about ER, you talk about flight, and now you've gone into this trauma, whether it's performance improvement, um, with the community education or working in in the trauma resuscitation bay. So you are also speaking at a BCEN Learn Live conference. So with all of the experience you have and what you're sharing, can you tell us a little bit about what the topic is that you're speaking on? 
Absolutely. So we're going to be talking about calcium and its role in the trauma patient during resuscitation and the importance of monitoring and replacing calcium during that time. Um, uh, just to give you a little quick hitter here, Dr. Carol Brohe, he's a trauma surgeon out of the UK. And about a year and a half ago, he tweeted out um, challenging the, the normal status of the trauma triad of death. And his triad of death was coagulopathy, hyperkalemia and hypocalcemia. So uh, that just kind of took me down a pathway to look and see how important is calcium in the trauma patient and how do we need to make sure that we are monitoring and replacing calcium for the patients who, especially the ones who get resuscitation. So a couple quick questions on calcium then. <clears throat> we also we often think about calcium and blood product administration. But how else is calcium used up in the trauma patient that we probably are, don't think of on a daily basis? Yeah. So, you know, like you said, citrate, we know a lot of us know about the citrate using the calcium up. But, you know, when you hemorrhage and you bleed, then when you bleed out all when you bleed out blood, you bleed out everything, not just red blood cells and plasma and platelets. You're You're bleeding out a whole blood product. And when we replace that, we know we talk about dilution and it's such, but dilution is one thing. When we replace blood, we're not always putting calcium back. Even though you do get some with lactated ringers, you don't necessarily get as much as you normally would. And secondly, um, tachycardia, you know, one of the first responses that you have when you have hypovolemia is your heart starting to beat faster to try to compensate for that cardiac output. And calcium is a very important role in your cardiac activity. And the last one, and probably the most important one I'll mention here, is your coagulation pathway, the pathway that you take. Um, calcium is an important factor in moving through that pathway for coagulation. So when we talk about coagulopathy as being a big part of death and trauma, we have to think that calcium, lack of ca the appropriate amounts of calcium can lead to worsening coagulopathy, leading to worsening outcomes in the trauma patient. Awesome. Well, I don't want to give away your whole your whole calcium. I got some, I got some more in there. I got some well, more. I, I do want to ask you one more question about that because I'm sure you'll get asked this question um, at some point: gluconate or chloride? Central access or peripheral access? So that's a great response. So, what type of access do they have? That should help determine the answer, right? Correct. All right. Well, we'll leave the cliffhanger there and we'll uh, look forward to more of the uh, conversation at Learn Live in Las Vegas and hearing all about calcium use and trauma resuscitation. I'm going to turn it back over to Holly, but thank you so much, Jamin, for the great responses. It's been wonderful chatting with you. And I'm sure we'll chat again before the podcast is over. Very interesting. I like the little cliffhanger at the end. So those who are attending uh, in Vegas will get to hear the whole story. Jamin, can you tell us about a person or a moment in your career that has just greatly impacted you? Yes, uh, there, there's a there's a couple of moments. I remember my first really bad trauma patient and just uh, overall, you know, auto versus pedestrian, multiple open injuries. So it's just kind of ingrained into my head. But someone who's not uh, the person, I would say, and I would say Michael, but he's on the podcast with me, so I won't say I won't, you know, pump him up too much. But um, Deborah Spann, someone who's not um, who should be known to the BCN Learn Live people. She spoke at your last conference, but she's just been an advocate for emergency nurses around our state in a region that has been really 
uh, in need of some real leadership and someone to encourage nurses to get certified and to move forward with their careers. And just uh, she's been a great influence in me and making sure that I help also encourage that community, encourage our nurses to move forward with their careers and certification. Awesome. Yeah. Deb Span is amazing. I think she would be very proud of the legacy that you're building as well. So um, you're doing her proud there, Jamin. I do have a few rapid fire questions. <laughs> this one's going to be interesting. What would you be doing if you were not in your current role? So if oh. nursing just wasn't it for you, where would you be? I'd uh, be a chef for sure. Nice. Yeah. Okay. What, 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 what would be like, you know, your dish of choice? Like what would be the Jamin special? What would be like my something soul food grew up on fried chicken, fried pork chops, you know, rice and gravy, corn on the cob, like the whole soul, soul food thing. That would be for sure what I'd be up into. Um, I'm going to have three categories regarding things that are your favorite and maybe why it's your favorite. You can skip if you just haven't landed on one, but what is your current favorite book? Um, probably Fearless, the story of Adam Brown. Um, it's a story about a, a, a Navy SEAL, a SEAL that didn't want a story told about him, but his story was so just awesome that his buddies and his friends couldn't help but want to talk about him and so if you haven't read the book about fearless it's a it's a great book about someone who struggled and made it through not only to succeed but to make it to the top of the the top of the ranks of the navy seals it's a great book awesome what about your favorite movie it can be of all time or just what's your favorite one right now oh all time without a doubt oh brother war out thou no hesitation <laughs> Nice. No hesitation. Got some great music in there. Okay. Um, all right. Well, favorite song. Um, Gravity by John Mayer. Throwing it back to 06, the year I graduated high school. The continuum album comes out. Just can't it's just always always mm -hmm. gonna be there. Got to see him last year in concert. It was awesome. Yeah, it's got some great like guitar riffs and just some it's really smooth. Okay. All right. Um, well, we did kind of go over like your comfort food <laughs> or meal that you enjoy. You're going to a restaurant, your favorite restaurant. What are you ordering? I, I mean, it's not I mean, a steak, a, a, a big fat ribeye. That's what I'm, yeah. What are we talking? Is it being cooked? How, how well? Medium is it? rare. If it's over yeah. medium rare, let's not talk. Okay. Um, other hobbies or interests outside of nursing? Uh, I, Michael mentioned earlier, I love to golf. Don't get to do it as much as I would like. Um, mm -hmm. But when you live in the sportsman's paradise of um, the United States, Louisiana, you have to love to hunt and fish. And so uh, hunting and fishing, love to do it wherever I get a chance, but it's not as often as I would like to these days. I gotcha. Well, I know we all got to make time to do something outside of what we get to do, I suppose, huh? All right. If our audience wanted to follow you online, what social media platforms um, could they follow you on? Absolutely. You can hit me up on LinkedIn or Twitter. It's just at Jamin Rankin or search Jamin Rankin on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you if you have questions or anything that comes along with starting a new program at a hospital where there was no program, which <laughs> I think was a little overwhelming at first, but thankfully to some of our uh hospitals in our system for a lot of help there. 
Awesome. So you have some tips and tricks that you could dish a little bit there. Awesome. Well, Michael, you want to bid Jamin farewell until Vegas? Yeah, Jamin, thank you again for being on the podcast with us and for sharing some of your experiences and your expertise. Uh, enjoyed chatting with you, even though uh, you said Dev Span is the most influential. I'll let it slide. <laughs> well, it's hard to say Michael Dexter when he's I'm on just, and talking. I'm just to him, kidding. So. I'm just kidding. No, really, it's been great chatting with you, and and I really am looking forward to your session in Vegas. I'm excited to be there. All right. Well, I want to take the time to thank Jamin for joining us for this episode of BCN and Friends. Thank you, Jamin, for sharing your time, your professional journey and insight with us. And to all of our listeners, we hope you will stay tuned as we continue with BCN and Friends and bring you new and meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I'm Holly Briggs here with Michael Dexter, and on behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you're doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, we are out. Thank you to our listening audience for joining us during season three of BCEN and Friends podcast. We appreciate you taking time to follow us online and hope that you will join us again in 2023 when we return with season four of BCEN and Friends. We will continue in our upcoming season with conversations that create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, we are out.